This morning, we're going to continue our series called The Blessed Home, and I just want to encourage you that our homes are supposed to be blessed. And I've, I've heard this in recent times. I never heard this 20 years ago, but in recent times, I've actually heard this, that some unbelievers and even some nominal believers think it's arrogant for us to say that God has blessed us, that we're blessed. Well, I, I just have to say this. No, it's rather arrogant to think that you don't need God's blessing, that you don't need God's help, because I tell you, we all need God's help, and how much we need the Lord's help when it comes to our home life, to marriage and family. We absolutely need God's help. And I want to say this again, that this is a, a, a series that... Um, I realize it's kind of specific more so to uh, those who are, are married right now, at least these several messages where we're talking about marriage. But all of us need to understand and know these principles from Scripture. We need to have a biblical view of marriage. And whether or not you're going to marry someday, you need to know this. You need to know what a biblical marriage looks like. And the Bible has much to say about it. And Oh, how we need to seek God in His Word in regard to marriage. we got to build our homes on the principles of God's Word, and then they will be blessed. You know, too often unbelievers and the unchurched say about us that, well, we're not really that different. Why would they want what we have? I want to tell you, if we live by the principles of Scripture, we are radically different. And they will see the blessing of God on our homes and want what we have. Amen. Amen. Well, there's such a desperate need in this world for blessed homes. Can't just take on the attitudes, the philosophies, the ways of the world and expect that our homes will be any different. And this is a real issue because, you see, in our culture right now, we're so surrounded with some of these philosophies and attitudes that when we hear what the Scripture says, it, it, it can almost sound wrong to us. But that's only because we've taken those attitudes, those philosophies from the world. And so today, I want to challenge you with the Word of God to be willing to be different, Amen. to do things differently. Yes. And so, you know, I'm kind of a preacher. I'm kind of loud, and I like to preach, but, you know, pastors are supposed to be apt to teach, and I want to teach a little bit about marriage. Today we're going to talk about the marriage covenant. You know, the world around us just sees marriage as a legal contract, and it certainly is a legal contract, but to, to a believer, it ought to be so much more than that. Marriage is a covenant. It is a total commitment to one another. You know, a legal contract, there's an understanding that I do this and you do that. That's the world's philosophy about marriage. It's kind of a 50-50 kind of a thing. But when we say vows before God in a Christian wedding ceremony, we enter into a covenant relationship with one another where we commit to give everything that we are and everything that we have to one another. That's the way it's supposed to be. In fact, we do that 
until death. You see, a lot of people don't view it that way. They view it as a legal contract that can be dissolved. And I'm just telling you, though, that a marriage covenant before God and, and virtually every wedding ceremony I've ever been to and certainly every one I ever officiated ha- included these words, till death do us part, until death. Something to that effect. We say things in those vows like to have and to hold and in sickness and in health, and for richer or poorer, for better, for worse, until death do us part. No matter what comes, it's until death do us part. We're going to go to the book of Malachi, chapter 2, and verses 13 and 14, and I'm going to read this from the NIV. It's just a little simpler and clearer in the NIV, but it says, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, you weep and wail, because he, has, he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Your marriage covenant. You'll notice here that it's talking about, you know, our prayers, our worship, and how that the Lord is not pleased. He doesn't accept them any longer, and they ask why. I just want to remind you from what we read from the book of Peter, that if our relationship isn't right with our spouse, it hinders our prayers. And you see, God wants to deal with us. If, if this part, this area of our life is not right, it's really important to God that we get it right. And that's real clear here. Where he says, you know, I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to be pleased with you because of the way you're treating your spouse. But I also want you to see that he calls it a marriage covenant. The scripture says this about the immoral woman in Proverbs 2.17 who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. She made a covenant before God. You see, when we say vows, we are making a covenant before God. I think that there's a lot of people that maybe are Christians and they get married and have a church wedding, they have a minister officiate and they say those kinds of things, but to them it was just words, they didn't really mean it. But I'm telling you that God holds them accountable for those words. When you make a vow before the Lord, He holds you accountable for it. And marriage is to be a covenant. He is a witness, He said, of that covenant. And it displeases him when we don't fulfill that covenant. And I, just, I don't just mean divorce. I mean to love, to cherish, to honor one another. All those things that are taught in the scripture and that are said in vows. It's a covenant before God. You know, there's not really much talk about covenants today. I think a lot of people don't really even have a clue about what a covenant is. But the Scripture talks about covenants a lot. And the Lord Jesus gives us a beautiful example 
of a covenant. On the night he was betrayed at the Last Supper, the Lord Jesus passed the cup to the disciples and he said in Luke twenty-two twenty, 20, this is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. We have a new covenant, right? And how did this covenant come into being? Jesus gave his all. That's how we entered into this covenant with Jesus. But here's the part that a lot of people don't get about Christianity. We're supposed to give our all to Jesus. That's how this covenant works. He gave his all and he expects us to give our all. Luke 9, 23 and 24, he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, you want to go after Jesus? Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And in this new covenant, Jesus gave his all and we're supposed to give our all and that is a perfect picture of the way the marriage covenant is supposed to be. Now the Lord instituted marriage in the second chapter of the Word of God. I mean, you don't have to get very far into the Scripture, just Genesis chapter 2, and there it is. God institutes marriage. We're going to read it in Genesis 2, 24. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I want to tell you this morning, this was not written for Adam and Eve. wasn't for their sake, it's for ours. How do I know that? Because Adam and Eve didn't have a father or mother. But this was recorded right here at the very beginning of the Word of God because God wanted everybody to know and understand that this is how a marriage is supposed to work. Now sometimes, you see, we read over a verse like that and we just kind of skim over it. We don't realize that there's some very important principles that are given to us in this one verse of Scripture. This verse of Scripture is so important. Jesus quoted it in the New Testament. One of those places is Matthew chapter 9. Jesus quotes it. We read it last week. The Apostle Paul quoted it in Ephesians chapter 5. This verse of Scripture explains to us and helps us understand how we can fulfill that marriage covenant. First, it gives us the principle of leaving. He says, leave your father and mother. I want you to understand it is not just talking about getting away from the in-laws. No, the Scripture, you know, the Scripture's clear, and Jesus even talks about this, that even after we're grown and, and we move on and we're married, we're always supposed to honor our father and mother. But there are binding ties that must be broken. And you need to understand it's not just about your in-laws that any binding ties, any ties that will hinder that marriage relationship have to be left behind. No relationship or other commitment can be allowed to hinder the total commitment of the marriage relationship. See, a marriage requires a total commitment. The principle of leaving is all about commitment. It's the greatest commitment that you'll ever make other than your commitment to serve the Lord. But commitment is something also that people don't really seem to grasp in our generations. 
They say commitments are made to be broken. A lot of people, commitment, it's just a matter of words. They say something, but they don't do it. We need to understand this about commitment, though. A commitment always requires saying no to other things. There has to be a leaving. There has to be those times when you're willing to say no to other things. If you're committed to anything, you're going to have to say no to some things in order to keep that commitment. I'll just give you a couple of examples. I mean, if, if you decided, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, we're going to go to church every Sunday, this is what we're going to do. The only way you will keep that commitment is if you're willing to say no to Sunday morning golf. I like to pick on the golfers because I don't golf. It's easy for me. But you're going to also have to say no, young people, you're going to have to say no to staying up till 3 o'clock on Saturday night. Well, I was just too tired. I didn't feel good. Well, no wonder. You're going to have to say no to some special events. It is amazing to me, Carmen and I were talking about this, how common this has become now where everybody has special events on Sunday. We have a special event every Sunday. I come to worship the King of Kings. What's more special than that? But see, to keep that commitment, you got to say no to some other things. If you can't say no to some other things, you won't keep that commitment. And so it is with our marriage, to really keep that commitment, you're going to have to say no to some things. Would you, for your marriage's sake, if you needed to, would you move away from your family? Would you give up your friends, your hobbies, your career, if you needed to for your marriage? And I know people think, wait a minute, I don't have to give up my friends. I shouldn't have to give up my career. I didn't say that you did. I just said, are you willing to? Because your marriage has to take precedent over everything else. Outside influences are, I started to say one of, I'm just going to say the major cause of marriages failing. This is why leaving is so important. You got to be willing to leave behind anything that would harm or hinder your marriage relationship. Let me just explain it to you this way. Husband and wife find themselves on a deserted island. There's nobody there. There's no way to contact anybody. Did you know there's almost a 0% chance that they will get divorced? (laughs) It's not going to happen. Isn't it amazing when they're left all to themselves, somehow they can work it out? But so often it's outside influences and other people and other things that hinder that relationship and do harm to it. You see, the principle of leaving protects the marriage from those outside influences. I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I'm not advocating isolation by any means. But we do need to realize that outside influences and other commitments can harm the marriage relationship if we allow it. we got to be willing to say no to those things when we need to. I mean, this, 
other than your relationship with God, your commitment to the Lord, this is the most important commitment you're ever going to make. It's the only one where you say things like, till death do us part. I mean, when you, when you chose your career, you took that job, did you say, till death do us part? I mean, anybody got a hobby that you said, I'm going to do this to the day I die? No. But that's what we say. That's the covenant that we make when we get married. You know, the Lord is really big on commitment. And the beginning of real intimacy with the Lord is when we're willing to turn our lives over to Him. And to keep our commitment to the Lord, we got to be willing to say no to anything else. In Luke 14, 33, Jesus says, In the same way any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus isn't telling us that we have to go get rid of all of our stuff. But he is saying that we have to be willing, in our heart, we have to give up everything we have. Everything else has to be laid at his feet. You've got to be willing to say no to anything else that would keep you from drawing closer to Jesus. I mean, I just have to say that, save that as a sermon for another time. But in your marriage relationship, you need to realize there's nothing more important than your relationship with your spouse except Jesus. That's it. Everything else, everything else, there are going to be times when maybe you need to say no. Jesus has to absolutely be first, and your spouse has to be next. And this kind of the way, the attitude, the philosophy of the world, you see, it's that, well, you know, I want to get married, but I shouldn't have to give up anything. Okay. But if your commitment to your marriage is not greater than your commitment to everything else, I mean, if there's something that your commitment to your marriage is not greater than whatever that is, whether it's a person or a thing, Whatever it is, it ultimately has the power to break up your marriage. You've got to be able to say no to whatever that is. I want to tell you, a lot of marriages have been sacrificed for a career. The commitment to the career was greater than the commitment to the marriage. There's a lot of marriages have, that have been destroyed because the commitment to something good was greater than their commitment to their marriage. You know, Matthew 19 and 6, Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man separate it. Now, he's not just talking about a man. It could be a woman, right? But he's not really even just talking about a man or a woman. It could be anything. He's, he's saying, you don't let anything separate what God has joined together you got to make up your mind that the, the marriage is that important that nothing else is going to separate the marriage. Some marriages have been sacrificed for a group of friends. They didn't want to let go of their friends of the past. I know one person, they got married, but they had all of these friends from college that they had partied with and hung out with, and they just wanted to keep hanging out with them, and eventually it broke up their marriage. There's a lot of marriages that have been broken up because a husband didn't want to give up his drinking buddies. 
You know what? That kind of thing happens a lot, and yet people don't seem to make the connection that there are things that you have to be willing to give up. See, this culture has just pushed this so hard. I shouldn't have to give anything up. It doesn't even make sense. I've seen it several times when a second marriage didn't make it because the commitment to their children from a previous marriage was greater than their commitment to one another. A biblical marriage is a covenant between two people where they give all that they have and all that they are to their spouse. It's a 100% commitment to the unity, to the one life that has been formed from two. Back to Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Joined in the New King James Version, and it's united in the NIV, and they're both just kind of weak. Not really that great of a translation. They don't really give the full picture. I actually like the King James translation there just a little better. It says, cleave to his wife. It's a word we don't use much, cleave. So I want to explain this morning. You know, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And in the Hebrew original text, the word that is translated as joined or cleave here. It is the same word that is used many times in Scripture in other ways. And I want, I want to give you a couple of those just so we can get a clearer picture of what the word really means. In Joshua 23, 8, Joshua says, You shall hold fast to the Lord your God. That hold fast is the same word, cleave. You hold fast to your spouse. Not going to let them go. You hold fast to them. Listen, Judges 20 and 45 gives us another example, and I I think this one is even better. The Israelites were fighting the Benjamites, and the Benjamites were on the run. It says, then they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon, and they cut down 5,000 of them on the highways. Then they pursued them relentlessly up to get them and killed 2,000 of them. I realize it's a little bit of a gory story, but I want you to see how this word was used here. Pursued relentlessly. Same word as Genesis 2.24. You pursue your spouse relentlessly. You pursue after them. You work at it. You're going after them. That's what it means to cleave here. It's not some, you know, passive verb. It is an action verb. It is something that you do. You don't just do nothing and cleave. No, you pursue. You hold fast to. You work at it. You know what? We understand this about dating or courting or whatever else you want to call it. You pursue them. Before you're married, you primp, you fix up. You guys, you wash the car, you try to look your best. You know, before you're married, you you try to stay in shape and once you get married, it's amazing how all that willpower goes out the door, and, right? But when you're pursuing them, you're careful about your breath. You, you buy special things for them. You write them notes, or now you, you send them texts during the day. But you want to be with them morning, noon, and night, every chance you get. And when you can't, you talk on the phone. You just want to be together. You're pursuing them relentlessly. Right. Carmen and I, when we dated, we lived over 100 miles apart. Didn't stop me. I was pursuing relentlessly. 
And you know what? Most of us understand. I know there's a few of you. You're thinking, yeah, I just gave in. Well, somebody was pursuing. I'm just saying, or there wouldn't be a marriage. But this is how it's supposed to be in the marriage relationship. That we are still pursuing relentlessly. Now, human nature works hard to get what it doesn't have. But when we're married and we have the object of our desire, somehow we think we don't need to work for it any longer. But the pursuit is not just to get married. It's to have a great marriage. And that's not going to happen if you don't work at it. Human nature is to take for granted what we have. And you know what? That's a huge problem in a marriage. Many marriages fail simply for the lack of effort. They took it for granted and didn't work at it. you got to pursue relentlessly. What area of life gets better by being lazy? Crickets. No. Anything you want to get better at, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to try. And how can we think that this area is not important enough to really work at. Here's the deception of the world, the world's kind of love and romance. If I marry the right person, then emotion will just happen naturally and effortlessly throughout my marriage. If I have to work at it, there must be something wrong with my marriage. They think if they married the right person, that then every day they're going to wake up with this overwhelming desire, you know, wake up just smelling roses every day. No, sometimes you're going to wake up smelling bad breath. That's where we live. You know what I'm talking about. We see it in the movies. You wake up and the sparks are flying, there's, you know... But what, pe- what group of people have the worst marriages? Hollywood. Why would anybody watch these movies and think, oh, well, that's how it's going to be for me? I mean, they spend millions of dollars on their wedding, and six months later, they're broke up. When one of them lasts five or six years, it's like, wow, they made a long time. It doesn't work. The best marriages are the ones that work at it to make it better. A lot of people think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. That's dumb. That's what dumb cows think. You need to remember this, that you see other people at their best. You get to see your spouse at their worst. The truth is, the grass is greener where it's watered and fertilized. I mean, when you're driving through the neighborhood, you say, oh, look at that yard. The grass is so green and pretty. It didn't happen by laziness. Somebody had to fertilize it and water it. And the way you get to the greener grass... In your marriage, as you work at it, you take care of it. 
Too simple, but so true. You can't store up love and devotion in your relationship with the Lord. And you can't store up love and romance in your relationship with your spouse. You know, some people, they, they talk about, oh yeah, you know, this happened in my life at one time and I was close to the Lord. I went to youth camp and I was all fired up and I went to this special thing and I was all excited. And... No, if you're going to be close to the Lord, you've got to abide in Him every day. And if you're going to really have a healthy relationship with your spouse, you're going to have to have some quality time together. You're going to have to spend time together. It's that important. But I want to go back to this green grass thing for just a minute. You know, a lot of the time when people are talking about the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, they're talking about an affair. And here's a little talked about thing about affairs. They cost money. They cost time. They cost a lot of effort and trouble. And if you spent that same money and time and effort on your marriage, you wouldn't be interested in an affair. It's amazing how the deceptions of this world have impacted so many people. Shouldn't have to work at my marriage, but they'll work at having an affair. It's crazy. I'm telling you, we're supposed to pursue relentlessly. So gentlemen, every day you win your wife. Romance is like manna. you got to go out and pursue it every single day, every morning. You make up your mind that you're going to treat your wife right, that you're going to show her in some way your affection and your devotion and let her know how much she means to you. Ladies, you need to still fix up for your husband. Thank you for that silence. (laughs) The men were too scared to say amen. And the women didn't want to, right? If you only fix up when you're going out, there's something messed up in your thinking because the one person more than anybody else that you ought to want to look good for is your husband. Well, my husband should love me no matter what I look look like. Well, of course he should. But you don't have to make it so hard. So, sweetheart, I just want to go on record as saying it is always easy for me. Hey, I've been at this 40 years. Why? Why do we not pursue our spouse? That attitude of the world. Gentlemen, every day, do your best to romance your wife and win her every day. If you don't, somebody else might. Don't allow familiarity to turn into neglect and take each other for granted. 
See, that's what happens a lot of the time. We're so familiar, and it turns into neglect where we don't make the effort to pursue one another. But that's how you make a marriage great. Cleveland's not just about romance and physical love. It's about intimacy. It's about closeness, and that takes us to the next point. It's about becoming one. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Two become one. A husband and wife become one. Once they're married, how many is there? That's right, one. This is the only time we get to get weird with arithmetic. One plus one in a marriage is one. That's the way it works. It's not two individual lives anymore. That's what the world is saying. It doesn't work. God designed it this way that two become one. It's not my life and her life. We're in this together. We're married. We are one. Two become one. I realize that a lot of people just, you know, they're just going to say, well, that's just a physical thing. Listen, that doesn't work. It takes more than that for a marriage to work. In a marriage covenant, two become one. You know, the culture, it's just like, well, you just live your separate lives and, you know, like... Two ships passing in the night. We'll, we'll get together at some point. That doesn't work. you got to make the effort to be one, to come together and spend time with one another. Have that quality time on a regular basis. When two become one, we no longer have the right to just do what we want. Well, I'm a man, I can do whatever I want. And the woman saying, well, you know what? I don't have to do what my husband says, I can do whatever I want. It's my life. And he's saying, it's my life. I got news for both of them. You're supposed to be living one. You're supposed to do life together. In a marriage, you always have to consider your spouse because you're one. It's not just a physical thing. You build your life together. You develop interest and activities together, not separate. It's not always about what I want. And that doesn't mean that you have to always do everything together, but it means that you have to be intentional about growing your relationship and building your lives together and not allowing them just to go in separate directions. You know what one of the most common things that people say when they're having trouble in their marriage? We've grown apart. Well, that doesn't just happen. It happens because they made choices to go in different directions. Another thing they say is they say, well, we just don't have anything in common. They made choices not to have things in common. This is what I want. This is what I want to do. This is what I like. And this is what I want. This is what I want to do. you got to choose to be one. Now, again, this seems so out there in the face of a culture who espouses this independence I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. But in a marriage relationship, independence is just selfishness. It's just an excuse to do what I want. And I have to tell you this morning, see, we need to get this, that when we really become one, we have to choose to be together. We have to choose to do things together.
It is not that one life is absorbed into the life of the other. I make jokes about it. Before a wedding, I usually tell the groom, two become one because your life is over. (laughs) But that's not really how it works. Two become one because both of them leave behind that single life, and now they are one. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, when you're married, it's no longer my money. This crazy thing that's going on in our world where, you know, this is my money and, you know, they get get into this prenuptial thing where, you know, since we're probably going to divorce anyway, that's not a marriage covenant. That's a legal contract. That's exactly what that is. It's a legal contract, but it's not a marriage covenant. When you have a marriage covenant before God and you say vows, you mean it. But it's no longer my money. And it's, well, listen, it's our money, it's our children, it's our home, it's ours. We're in this together. We're one. When somebody gets married and they already have children, it's no longer my children. It becomes our children. You got, listen, you can have two bank accounts. I'm not saying you can't have your own account and, you know, you have money that's designated for this and I'm responsible for that or I pay for this, but you can't have the attitude, this is mine because it's all ultimately ours. You got to share everything. An old married couple walking into a McDonald's and she sat down at the table, the husband goes up and he orders and then he comes and sits down and he bought one hamburger, one order of fries and one coat. He cuts the burger in half and he gives her half of it and then he gives her half of the fries and they start to eat or the man starts to eat and a stranger is watching this and he, he thought, well, that ain't right. He goes over and he says, hey, I can buy y'all another meal. They said, oh no, this is fine. This is plenty for us. We share everything. And the man said, okay. So he goes back, he sits down. About five minutes later, after watching them for five minutes, he, he's sitting there watching and the man is eating and just keeps eating. The wife's not eating anything. So he goes over again and he says to the wife this time, he says, ma'am, he says, I would be glad to buy you your own meal. She said, no, we share everything. He said, well, what are you waiting for? She said, the teeth. (laughs) Yes, it's bad. And it's not right. It's too far, all right? That's too far. But other than the teeth, no. But we need to get the principle, though, that when you're one, it's ours. We can't live these separate lives and expect it to work. If you're going to have a great marriage, you've got to understand that you're, you really are one before God. Amen. Right. See, in a marriage, you've got to make decisions together. You talk about things before you make a decision. 
you don't come home with a new motorcycle and say, look, you don't go buy a bass boat without talking about it, right? Thank you, Josh. I'm just telling you, I know, I know people do this. I also know that it's, it's a recipe for having some strife in the marriage. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. You're in this together. And we work together on this. In a marriage, well, before marriage, you know how it is. Constantly wanting to be together. And then you go on a date. And you go for fun, right? I mean, you're going out on a date because you want to, right? And so you try to do something that you both like. But if one or the other likes something, and maybe you don't like it so much, but you're willing to do it because they like it, right? But this is the way most marriages work. Okay, we got to take care of the kids, we got to pay the bills, and you know, we got all these other responsibilities, and then, oh, I got some free time here for a little fun in my life. I'll see you later. And the hobbies and the leisure time don't have anything to do with their spouse. They don't have fun together anymore. Marriage is supposed to be fun, but you got to do some things together. And sometimes you can find some common interest, and sometimes you just put up with whatever it is they're like. I mean, sometimes, gentlemen, you're going to have to be sitting in that chair outside the dressing room while she tries stuff on. It's like a torture chamber, just sitting there, sitting there, and sitting there. But you know what? I do that because she wants to dress the way I like. And I do a good job of picking, just saying. Because she's beautiful. And sometimes, this is really embarrassing, but I'm just out here. I watch chick flicks. You know, usually after I watch one, I got to watch like three John Waynes, but. But I watch it because she likes that. And when she watches a chick flick, you know, she gets, she wants to be all romantic and everything. And I just have to say, that ain't all bad. (laughs) But here's what I'm saying really seriously, is that you have to intentionally do some things fun together. That's what you do when you're dating, you know. And if you're going to pursue relentlessly, then you have some special times like that. You mark it out. And that doesn't mean that you can't go fishing by yourself and she can't go shopping by yourself. Of course you can. But too often, couples just let it become where their relationship just has to do with paying the bills and taking care of the kids and all that kind of stuff. And they don't really have special times and quality time together. Those things are important. you got to make sure that you really are one. You leave, be willing to say no to other things. You got to cleave, you got to pursue relentlessly. And you got to realize that you, you are one before God. You can't just live a separate life anymore. Stand with me, we're going to pray.